0: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you have made it possible for ordinary people like us to know you, to, to hear from your word, to to have insight even into you. You're so great. You are the Holy One, and we bow before you this evening, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who opens up uh, that word that he inspired. And so we pray that you would uh, speak to us now and give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, in our home, um, as boys growing up, there was a sign that was next to the kitchen door. And I don't think I've told you this illustration before, but here it is. The, the sign said, dinner will be served when the fire alarm goes off. Um, if you were a guest, uh, you were being told that if sometime between, say, 5 and 7 p.m., um, you heard the kind of noise that would normally make you want to flee a building... You were to uh, proceed into the kitchen, you were to find the table and find a chair and sit down and get ready to eat. And our passage tonight, it's really a dinner invitation. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 9, there are actually two invites. Two women are saying to us, come dine with me. But you and I will only be wise if we um, RSVP to the right one. And if you look at the passage, I'm sure you can see that um, the first invite comes in uh, verses 1 to 6. The second comes a little later in uh, verse 13 to the end. And then in between, there's kind of something different. And so as we work through, as we think about this passage this evening, what I'm, I'm not going to do is work from kind of the top to the bottom um, I want us instead to to co- compare and contrast the two invitations, the two meals, and look at the middle section, and then think about some implications. And if you find, um, if you're this kind of person, you find headings helpful, then here they are this, this evening. Two meals, two mindsets, and two lessons. Two meals, two mindsets, and two lessons. Firstly, two meals, looking at verses 1 to 6 and 13 to 18. Two meals. And as we look at these two meals, they they couldn't be more different, could they? Um, Look, as we begin, look at the two hosts. Um, As you do that, let's remember what's um, going on here. These two women, they're not actual, real women. They are being used by the writer to personify wisdom, personify folly. And Solomon wants his son to see the difference between these two different paths through life. And so what he does in this chapter is he engages his son's imagination and he tries to show them really vividly what they actually look like. Look at the first word used to describe the woman folly in verse 13. She's seductive, she knows nothing, the passage says, but she also makes a lot of noise. She is loud. That word loud can be translated roar or rage or growl. That is what folly sounds like. In contrast, do you notice in verses 1 to 6, it takes a little while before we actually hear Lady Wisdom speak. And the invite that she sends out, it, it goes out via a group of young women. Can you see that in verse 3? Uh, they're the ones who go out on her behalf and they, they say to all who'll hear, Lady Wisdom requests the pleasure of your company on such and such a date at such and such a time. This is the kind of thing that happens today, isn't it? If you um, get an invite to somewhere really important, say, I don't know, Buckingham Palace or something like that, um, King Charles, he doesn't phone you up directly. There's a process, there's there's a letter, there's somebody to reply to. It's all very, it's quite official and formal and uh, dignified. Lady Wisdom's banquet is like that as well as the host. Notice the the difference in the two locations. And the invite goes out to the same people. It goes out to the simple. You can see that if you compare verse 4 and verse 16. The invite is announced from the highest places in town, verse 3 and verse 14. And yet these two meals themselves, they happen in very different places. You look at verse 14, you can perhaps see that woman folly's residence is is simply described as a house. And in contrast, look at the beginning of chapter 9. Lady Wisdom's home is a wonderful place. It is a beautiful place. She's built her house. It has seven pillars, uh, you know, the biblical number for perfection. The scholars tell us that that the word built, it has the the sense of real kind of craftsmanship and real thought has gone into the building, the making of this this home. And when I first read this passage, I thought of a a home that I really love. It's um, in old Aberdeen. It's right next to uh, King's College, the university. It's uh, Simon and Pam's house, friends of ours. And I would love to take all of you there this evening, going on a, a road trip to, to Aberdeen. Because in that home, the kitchen in that house, it's the heart of the place. There's lots of laughter. There's there's an aga. There's wonderful food. It's, it's the kind of home you, you immediately relax in if you go in there. And there's pets everywhere in this house. It's not that tidy, it would be kind of weird if it was, but it is a home where people's lives have begun to heal. And Lady Wisdom's home is like that. The host is different, the location is different. There's a third thing, the menu is different. Look what's on the table at Lady Wisdom's house in verse 2. And then compare and contrast that with verse 17. And Bread and water. Bread and water are basics, aren't they? Um, it's also worth pointing out in Proverbs that water that is stolen and bread that is eaten in secret, they are, they are pointers to uh, sexual immorality. You can see that if you read chapters 5 and 7 later. And so this is not, this is not a feast. This is a trap. Bread and water are prison rations, aren't they? And in many ways, that's what this woman folly wants to do to all those who'll follow her. She wants to imprison them. She wants to keep them in chains. She wants to never let them go. In contrast, Lady Wisdom's food is it's carefully prepared. The wine is going to match the main course. She's set the table. It's the best china. It's... I don't know, a white tablecloth. It's lots of candles. And so this is not kind of cheap sausage rolls and flat lemonade kind of party. This is not last night's uh, meal, you know, leftovers in the middle of the week. This is a feast feast. This is an occasion and this is what life with God is like. God is like that, God is like Lady Wisdom, that He is generous. I wonder if we believe that this evening. And I think there's a kind of default setting you and I we can revert to after we've been Christians a while. We start to think God must just be kind of frustrated with our lack of progress and we think that his sort of most frequent feeling towards us is just kind of disappointment. We have an enemy who's very happy for us to think of God as stingy or cold. But Proverbs 9, I think one of the things it does... For us tonight, it just kind of says, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Do you really know what life with God is like? It is like a great feast, a great meal. And we know this, don't we? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus speaks about a great banquet. He compares God to an amazing host who wants his house full. And when people have turned down the invite, what does that host do? He sends his servant out to compel people to come in. Bible ends with the same kind of thing. We're called to take our place at a a wedding banquet. And speaking of the end, speaking of that, look at the end of these two meals. You see, the host is different. The location is different. The menu is different. And the end, the the kind of result from going to this meal is different too. Look at um, verse 6. And if you can, look at verse 18 at the same time. Can you do that? One of these banquets comes with the promise of life. And the other banquet comes with the reality of death. He does not know that the dead are there. See, so look at verse 18 again, and look at the very first word in that verse. It is but. But. The way of folly has a certain appeal to you and me, but. There's a but. Someone has put it many eat on earth what they digest in hell. Way of folly, it promises so much to you and me, but, there is a but, it ends in pain. If we choose folly, we choose death. If we choose wisdom, we choose life. So, two meals, two meals. Secondly, verses 7 to 12, two mindsets, two mindsets. Um, a few people have really helped me already looking at uh, this book, looking at Proverbs. One of them is a guy called Derek Kidner, um, his books are uh, always really well worth uh, reading. His commentary on Proverbs is, is kind of very proverbish, if that's a word. It's kind of pithy. Uh, I was chatting to one of you about this book. You kind of want um, Derek Kidner to just write more and more and more. It's so good. Everything he says is kind of gold. And he gives this section verses 7 to 12 he calls it the closed or open mind the closed or open mind And as you begin to think about that kind of idea let me just throw out some questions in our culture today what kind of people are considered closed minded what kind of people are considered open minded What category would people put you and I if we're Christians tonight? What category would they put us in? And as you think about that, then look at how that answer. Think about how that answer compares to our verses. I think Kidner's kind of summary is distinction. It's really helpful because maybe as we as we looked through this uh, passage as it was read to us, maybe we thought, "What are verses seven to twelve doing here?" Uh, They feel very different to the beginning, to the end. There's no mention of food in these verses. There's no kind of third woman. But I think they're here, verses 7 to 12, they're here for a reason. They're here to highlight, to underline our need, you and I, to choose wisdom. And that need to choose wisdom, it is done by contrasting the wise person with the scoffer scoffer. Look at verses 7 and 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. That word scoff, it's used again in, in verse 12. Maybe you can see it there. The Bible has, Proverbs has a category for a person who just will not listen if they're challenged. There is a kind of person who never thinks, or who thinks, rather, they're never wrong. The Bible has a category for a person who loves to, to air their views, but if you ever dare try to correct them, they take that, and what they do is they turn that right back at you to harm you. It's like they catch the rebuke before it hits them, and they throw it right back at you, twice the speed. And correction, even when it's done gently, lovingly, it's turned into kind of toxicity, And one consequence of being on the receiving end of all of that is you can start to think that you're the one who is wrong when you aren't. Proverbs is saying, don't be naive. Proverbs is saying, don't think such people don't exist. Proverbs says, you're wasting your time if you keep on talking to a person who is not listening to you. A person who will take your words and launch them back at you. A person who has a closed mind. What did Jesus say to his disciples about people like that? Shake the dust off your feet. Don't cast your pearls before a swine. See, so look at the love hate language in verse eight. A wise person is is reproved. A friend comes to them and says, You know, I've noticed something in your life. They very humbly say, I'm not sure that your behavior was appropriate. And the wise person hears those words and is humble in response. They love you. They might not love you immediately, but maybe in time they they love you because you had the courage to say something. A scoffer does the opposite. A scoffer gets defensive. A scoffer hates reproof. And ultimately, sadly, a scoffer will be all alone, verse 12. I think all of us will have met people like this. We'll know people like this, won't we? People who drive others away, who hurt others, and then complain that nobody cares about them. Some people have a closed mind. But that doesn't have to be where we end up. Look at the encouragement in verse nine. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. I think this is the to everyone who has more will be given principle that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter thirteen. Wisdom is something that grows. The more you and I listen to wisdom, the more we receive instruction, the more we treasure it, the wiser we become. Wisdom as a kind of way of multiplying. Similar to Proverbs 4, verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter and brighter until full day. And so just as there is a path through life that gets darker and darker till death, The opposite is also true. Proverbs is telling us, hold on to Lady Wisdom, and your life, it will have a quality, it will have a richness to it that fools would would never even think to dream of. And after you've enjoyed all of that, you'll have eternal life. I think that's the best way to kind of understand verse 11 in a kind of ultimate sense. Someone has said, aim at heaven, and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. So two meals, two mindsets. Lastly, third point, two lessons, two lessons. And the first lesson has to do with the method of this chapter, how it's written. The second lesson has to do with the message, what is written. Let's think first about the method, how it's written. Uh, Some of you will have heard of uh, Thomas Chalmers, and uh, if you've not, uh, Thomas Chalmers is kind of perhaps best known as uh, being one of the founding fathers of the free church. He was uh, quite an amazing man, one one of those kind of polymaths who was good at everything and interested in everything. And Thomas Chalmers, he once preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The expulsive power of a a new affection. Sermon titles in in those days, they had better uh, titles, didn't they? Sermons. But in that sermon, he, he pointed out that simply telling Christians not to do A, B, or C, that is not enough if you really want them to grow in holiness. What's needed to help people live a godly life is more than that. Something that is going to kind of draw them To holiness. Something that's going to help them see the attraction of it, the goodness of it. Maybe if you could put it like this, a negative is not enough. And we need the positive. We need a new affection. It's when we taste, when we see the beauty of Christ and his love that you and I are changed. Only that will help to to break the hold of sin this is what the bible actually does all the way through Psalm 16 says this there are eternal pleasures at god's right hand and knowing that helps you and i trust him doesn't it what about jesus blessed are the pure in heart but then he gives a reason for they will see god So that Jesus doesn't just come to us and say, you know, be pure. Jesus gives a wonderful motivation, a great encouragement, a promise to us. If you're struggling with sin tonight, if you're wrestling, if you're somebody wrestling for purity, if you're kind of looking in places you shouldn't be looking, the answer is never just stop it. That kind of thing, it it doesn't kind of work for long, does it? You and I, we need to know that there is something better coming. We need to know that one day we will see the face of Jesus. And I think so often for us as Christians, the path out of sin is to remember the one that we will see one day, remember whose face will look right back at us in love. And this is what our writer does. This is what this chapter does. It doesn't just show the son, the woman folly, does it? Now, this chapter, it shows this son, the beauty of holiness. It shows him, it holds up before him lady wisdom. Wisdom. Friends, God wants to do that for us tonight. Maybe we need a reminder of that. He wants our hearts. He wants us to know and experience his love. He wants us to be able to rest in that love, to, to enjoy that love. He wants to give us lasting joys, real treasures, true peace. So that's the method, the way... This chapter is written, but there's a second lesson here, the message. And one of the things that's really big in the the workplace today is uh, CPD, isn't it? Kind of continuous professional development. And we talk a lot about kind of lifelong learning. And I guess that's because today um, there's very few jobs where you kind of learn everything you need to know in the first two or three years of training, and then you just spend the rest of your career doing what you've learned. It's not like that these days, is it? There's a need to develop, to grow, to make progress. And it's true in the Christian life. Every day in the Christian life is a school day. Uh, you and I, were creatures, our understanding is limited, but it can grow, we're dependent on God. And I just wonder, I think a danger for those of us in churches like ours is to think, you know, I know the truth. I've got the truth nailed down. And yet that can, what can that lead to? That can lead to spiritual stagnation. The wise person thinks different. They're humble. They want to keep on growing in wisdom. They want to, to apply God's truth to every corner of their lives. They know that they'll never manage to do that. But they want to keep on making progress. Are you, am I, a lifelong learner? Or do I have everything figured out? Are, are we willing to listen To the voice of Lady Wisdom. Have we this evening, all of us here tonight, have we accepted her dinner invitation? Have we come to her feast? This is what people have called the free offer of the gospel. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. Have you come to him? Have you rested on Jesus? Have you rested from your works? Have you said to Jesus, Take my sin, give me robes? Well, he can do that tonight. Maybe you've done that, and I'm sure lots of us have, but maybe you still, I don't know, you feel like a kind of unwelcome guest. Or maybe you've been wandering away from God, maybe you've been ignoring God for a while, maybe. You've looked to satisfy your spiritual hunger, your thirst in all the wrong places for a season. You've been foolish. You need to repent and ask forgiveness. Maybe you need to come home again. Well, friends, if you do, then remember who's waiting for you. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, you and I, we have a father who is ready to embrace us we have a Father whose door is always open, the table is set, his arms are wide, they're ready to receive us. And all of our shame, our shame can be covered by him. I think all the joy you and I am um, experience now, all the, the feasts, the beauty, all of that, the, it's all foretastes of what's to come. Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. But how is that banquet, that feast possible? Well, it's possible because God himself has eaten up death. Because, Isaiah says, he will swallow up death forever. And Isaac Watts has a beautiful hymn about that feast. He imagines all of us at the table together at last. And the hymn says this, While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? And what is the answer to that question this evening? Well, the only answer is because he wanted you there. He wanted you there. That is how good, that is how kind God is. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, You've given us... uh, pictures like this um, in your word of ultimate reality, that one day, as your people, we will feast, we will gather together, and we will be together with you, and there will be such great joy. And so we pray that you would uh, make that more and more real to us, that we would uh, seek and follow path of wisdom, that we would taste and see that you are good. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.